I'll try to tackle the abortion issue making light of the new law in Texas, and they absolutely botched it. They try to make light of something that weighs heavily on the hearts and minds of millions of people in America, in Canada, and around the world, and they absolutely missed on this area. Not only did they miss on the comedy, they missed on the facts. Let's dive into it. Cam, there was a time when Saturday Night Live was great. I remember uh, watching Norm MacDonald videos, one of the best comedians um, out there, just passed away not too long ago, but, but certainly one of my favorite comedians. Absolutely amazing when he would tackle cultural issues using satire and using really good comedy. But yeah, like you said, Saturday Night Live had a very poor comedy sketch on uh, two Saturdays ago. Really talking about abortion, making some fallacious claims, some errors, and all of that. Um, I mean, one of the claims, Cam, we'll talk about it later, but just to spark your interest, is that women need to have abortion access to pursue great opportunities. Be that status, be it fame, be it opportunities, whatever it might be, abortion access is necessary for that. And that's the, the message that's being marketed to women around America, around Canada, um, but also around the world um, by what we've been seeing. So... That's what we're going to talk about today, Saturday Night Night Live, and their, that's hard to say, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, and their terrible comedy sketch. Cam, thank you for doing that opening for me, and uh, welcome <laughs> welcome back, sir. It is good to be back. It is kind of fun to have to do that. You you always get saddled with the opening quote, and so it's kind of fun to, to do it. Um, for those who aren't able to see behind the scenes, it may have taken us like 45 attempts to get something that was useful for our introductory <laughs> quote, um, but thankfully, you don't have to listen through all of that um, hot garbage, as it were. Um, I, I'm, I, I can't even say that I'm excited to do this episode necessarily, Peter, because this was so cringeworthy. Like, like I had to watch this, what, five, six times to be able to um, process some notes and get ready for this episode. And each time, I just cringed more and more. And part of me doesn't even want to give any, any form of validation, any kind of nod towards this. And yet there's millions of people who tune into SNL and and check out their content. I've seen this posted across the internet, and so I, I think it's important for us to tackle it. But warning to ye in the audience who are tuning in, um, there's not a whole lot to even laugh about from their sketch, um, let alone to appreciate from how they try to tackle the abortion issue here. Yeah, that's right. It, it's not funny. I mean, we had a debate before we got on air, Cam, as to whether they were trying to be cringy or whether they were trying to be funny and it just end up, ended up being cringy. Um, but yeah, the point of, of this episode is not to sort of bring out their comedy and show how their comedy is absolutely terrible. Um, but we do want to bring some apologetics into this as well. There are some claims that are made. There's some marketing that's taking place. And there's a message that's going out to the world that we want to fix. I mean, Cam, one of your lines uh, that we've talked about before is, is fixing the internet. And I guess this is one of the ways that we can do that. Um, but we want to uh, look at some of those claims, look at what's happening here and, and you know, sort of set the record straight and give you some helpful tools that you can use when you hear someone talk with these arguments as well. So Saturday Night Live, uh, for those of you who are not aware, is um, so also known as SNL, Saturday Night Live SNL. It's an American late night live television sketch comedy and variety show. Um, comedians come on and uh, it's supposed to be this funny sort of entertaining 
uh, live show where, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, they talk about cultural issues and, and provide some funny cultural commentary. Certainly not the best at doing that. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive in, uh, Cam. I, I've uh, cut mm -hmm. some of these, these, I've cut this video into a number of different clips, so we'll just take it a, a clip at a time. So let's play the first clip. The Supreme Court heard arguments this week in Women's Whole Health v. Texas about the controversial Texas law that essentially bans all abortions after just six weeks. Here to cheer us up, well, this can't be right, Goober the Clown, who had an abortion when she was 23. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I'm Goober the Clown! So, Goober, you, you had an abortion when you were 23? Hey, whoa! Slow down! I'm a clown! Let's clown around! Hey, smell this flower! You're not gonna squirt me, are you? Oh, I would never. Okay. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I had an abortion the day before my 23rd birthday. Okay. Like I said <laughs> a little earlier, this is, um, this is, this is, this is cringe. Um, but a few things mm. here, Cam. I know you have uh, some thoughts on sort of this mix between really bad comedy and back to abortion and to the comedy and to the abortion. Um, I just want to say one of the things. So this video, they're responding to um, the abortion law that came into um, effect uh, not too long ago in Texas, um, and then responding to the fact that there's a court case happening right now. Whole, Whole Woman's Health v. Texas is taking place right now. Uh, Whole Woman's Health is the largest network of abortion providers in Texas, and they're fighting to, to reverse this in any way that they can. And so sort of the way to respond and the way to, to look at uh, what's happening in the culture of what's happening in Texas right now is to use this special guest, Goober the Clown, played by, what's her name? Uh, it's not that important, but here, Cecily Strong. She's an American actress and uh, quote unquote comedian. Um, but uh, if you want to learn more about that law in Texas, I know there's been a lot about um, what this law is, is, is about, you know, that you can read about in uh, MSNBC or CNN or, or any other of these um, news outlets. But we take a really good look at what the law is about, what people are not talking about that is fantastic. That's in episode 59 with Eric Scheidler from the Pro-Life Action League. So, Kim, take it away, sir. Yeah, so my, my initial thoughts, as we kind of alluded to, especially as we see it play down in this kind of opening quote from the sketch, is... Um, the goober, the clown comes on and, and the host asks her right away. Okay. So you had an abortion when you were 23 and she says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to jump into it right away. We need to do some clowning around first. This notion of we're trying to make abortion commonplace. We're trying to like make it funny that we're even talking about this. I can't believe we're, we're even having to talk about this. This is a line that comes up several times throughout the sketch. And yet the humor that goober, the clown, um, kind of portrays right from the get-go is so cringy that I think that it's it's a, a terrible and very accurate expression of the coping that our culture is trying to make with regards to abortion, right? That we are desperately, in, in whatever kind of macabre way, trying to cope with the horrors of abortion by simply chuckling. I, I've read a bunch of interesting articles about the awkward laugh, about how when something uncomfortable happens, we try to make light of it with an awkward laugh to move on. And that's exactly what Goober the Clown is trying to do, trying to get us to think past the abortion issue, trying to think of this as being an incredibly commonplace thing. 
And yet, we as pro-lifers absolutely want to talk about this. We want to talk about this in a serious way because not only of how it impacts preborn children, the, the focal point of the conversations that we're always trying to have, Peter, as we try to focus on our four-point human rights argument that I'll, I'll mention briefly for those who are new to the show, um, these four questions center the conversation on human rights and, and the humanity of the preborn, namely, can we agree that all humans should get human rights? Moving on to if if something is growing, isn't it alive? If that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human? And doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? Anchoring on the humanity of the preborn, but even beside that, looking at the very real, very troubling experience that so many mothers and fathers have as it comes to abortion. We've talked to people on this show before who have had abortions, both in our Humans of the Pro-Life Movement um, episodes, as well as the main podcast. And to try to make light of their experience, I think is incredibly poor taste, just bearing in mind the fact that of the thousands of mothers that I've spoken to who have chosen abortion, the hundreds of men who have revealed to me that their children were aborted, not one of them has made light of it. Not one of them has tried to make jokes about, oh, yeah, no, it was great. It was a, a fun Friday, Friday experience going down to the old abortion clinic. Ha, ha, ha. No, the weight of abortion weighs so heavily on their shoulders that, that I think this is just done in such poor taste right from the very get-go. But th this is just kind of the intro clip here. Let's, let's watch another one here, and then we'll kind of dive into the so-called arguments that Goober the Clown is making. Yeah, I just want to say um, before that, what you were saying sparked um, a thought in my mind of what I had read about what Portland, Oregon is doing. They're the first city in the nation to provide bereavement leave for employees after having an abortion. And so you're talking about a way for society to cope with abortion, um, you know, getting abortions. You, you talked about the, the conversations you've had and that I've had as well, where I mean, people don't make light of the abortions that they've had. There's, there's usually a lot of sadness and guilt and, and some shame connected to it as well. Um, but as our culture is trying to reconcile with uh, abortion, which they say is, is very good, it's very necessary, we need it to be as accessible as possible, they're trying to sort of reconcile that with, okay, there's there's more to this. There's some pain. There's something behind it. There's a need for, for bereavement leave for employees who ch just had an abortion. There's a need to sort of talk about it comedically. Um, as it were. But yeah, let's uh, let's dive into clip number two, as they say, Cam, the worst is yet to come. It, it seems like you do want to talk about your abortion. Well, actually, I really don't, but people keep bringing it up, so I got to keep talking about freaking abortion. But it's a rough subject, so we're going to do fun clown stuff to make it more palatable. Whee! Hey, what's a balloon animal? You want a giraffe? Okay. okay. <laughs> you, you don't have to do this, Cecily. Cecily, I'm Goober. And I wish I didn't have to do this, because the abortion I had at 23 is my personal clown business. But that's all some people in this country want to discuss all the time, even though clown abortion was legalized in Clown v. Wade in 1973. Here. Yeah, so she just made your point right there, Cam. She said it's a tough subject, and, and this is a way to make it more palatable. I wonder what you think, though, about uh, her comment that she doesn't want to talk about abortion, which is funny because she's doing it on a Saturday Night Live comedy sketch. Um, but her justification for, for doing it there is that everyone else seems to want to talk about abortion. And that's forcing her to do so as well. I, I think it's an interesting point because in many ways, pro-lifers and many people in America and Canada and around the world do want to talk about abortion 
just as much as we want to talk about other injustices. It's not that we take any joy in it. It's because we recognize the need. And I think often of a quote from Lewis Hine, actually. And, and for those who aren't familiar with Lewis Hine, um, he was the photographer involved in bringing an end to child labor in America. And um, Lewis Hine took these pictures of children who were being forced to work in heinous conditions in factories and, and coal mines, children who had lost limbs and um, all sorts of years of their childhood. And when asked why he felt the need to keep bringing up the child labor issue, he said, and I quote, perhaps you are weary of child labor images. Well, so are the rest of us. But we propose to make you and the entire nation so sick and tired of these images that when the time for action comes, these images will be a record of the past. Honestly, Peter, I can't wait until I can stop talking about abortion. But so long as abortions continue to happen, we need to continue addressing it. And so this isn't a matter of pro-lifers wanting to drag people's personal stories out into the mud. Pro-lifers are future-focused, both future of children who are scheduled to be killed, dragged to the slaughter today, tomorrow, next week, next year, whatever it may be, future-focused in that way, but also future-focused for the mothers who have chosen abortion because we want them to find healing and a path to recovery in the future. Yeah, and thinking about how we can use some of this, this sort of commentary just for thought when we go on the streets and have conversations as well. She mentions that um, abortion is a tough subject. Now, uh, it would have been wonderful if, if, if they tried to sort of understand why abortion was the tough subject. But the reality is that for so many people, not, not your sort of your actresses, your, your people from Hollywood and, and the folks that you see on TV, but for regular folks as well that we meet, Cam, uh, on the streets, that we meet at high schools and colleges uh, that we might work with in our workplaces or, or go to school with and study with. Abortion is a tough subject, and so that's one of the reasons that we often advocate for finding common ground in the conversations that we're having. That if someone mentions that, yeah, there's they're in a tough situation, you know, whatever it might be, that the whatever the situation might be, we're not going to them with with facts and logic and beating them over the head. Now we are going to them with facts and logic, but we're doing it compassionately. Um, we're finding common ground, and we're saying something like. You know, I, I, I understand. I recognize that that being in a situation like that might must be extremely difficult and that the temptation to have an abortion or to try find that way out would be really high. I, I understand that it would be difficult to to think about having a child in a situation like that and, you know, put that situation in whatever that person shared with you. You're finding common ground. You're showing that you care for them. You're showing that you do want what is best for them. And that really helps in the conversation. Now, Cam, anything else uh, that you want to touch on here before we play the next clip? Yeah, one, one thing that we talk about so often, so obviously most of the conversational tools, Peter, that you and I talk about are somewhat academic. As much as you talk about the empathy that we're, we're finding through Common Ground, we want to make sure that empathy steeps our entire conversation. We often talk, if, if the person I'm speaking to is somebody like Goober the Clown, who reveals to me that she had an abortion um, the day before her 23rd birthday, I want to do a couple things. I want to love her genuinely. I want her to know just how much I care about her, her healing, her recovery, where she's at and how I can help her um, with whatever she's going through in the aftermath of abortion. But I also want to try to seek to understand, like you had said, tying this common ground into understanding where they're coming from. But it's difficult to really understand where somebody who had an abortion when she was 23. I mean, I, I've never had an abortion myself. Um, 
by God's grace, nobody um, in my immediate vicinity has asked me about helping them obtain an abortion. And so I want to seek to understand in a very gentle, very kind of flexible way. I don't want to order them to tell me why they had the abortion. But I want to invite them to say, you know, can, can you share with me what you were going through at that time? Can you share with me who was pushing or pulling you towards abortion? And through seeking to understand and, and seeing where she's coming from, I also want to provide a different perspective. Because unfortunately, as is evident even in this sketch, how they, they failed to mention the $100 million stimulus um, that the government in the state of Texas has committed to to help pregnant mothers in difficult situations and young families and whatnot. There's so many people who are oblivious to the incredible and in many places, complete support that's available to mothers. And so as we seek to understand what they were going through, finding ways to um, offer a different perspective, I think as well. Um, this is something that CCPR um, presenters have often talked about as heart apologetics. Um, this is something that should steep our entire conversations, but especially when people reveal to us that they've had an abortion. So just a couple other thoughts as to how we can navigate, especially when you're talking to somebody who tells you that they've had an abortion. Yeah, that's going to tie into the next clip as well. So let's play uh, the the third clip. Um, so these clips, like I said, I just I just cut them up so you're watching the whole video. Um, but we we cut them up so you're able to uh, sort of pull pull from the the, the shorter pieces. So here's uh, clip number three. Can you stop saying clown abortion? And what is this? And it's a worm. I don't know. Hey, hey, did you know one in three clowns will have a clown abortion in their lifetime? You don't, because they don't tell you. They don't even know how to talk to other clowns about it. Because when they do talk about it, if you were a clown who wasn't the victim of something sad like clown says, they think your clown abortion wasn't a righteous clown abortion. I mean, what the dick is that? <laughs> I don't think you can say that word on the show. What, abortion? Well, I guess kind of. Yeah, so that, that one claim that she made there, one in three, well, she said one in three clowns uh, will have a clown abortion in their lifetime. But one in three women, as she's trying to get at, will have an abortion in their lifetime. And that really, really highlights, once again, Cam, that when we're talking about abortion, whether the person in front of us that we're talking to has mentioned that they've had abortion, an abortion or not, it's likely that they know at least one person in their lives, but, but certainly more um, people in their lives who have had an abortion in the past. And so we need to be pretty, pr pretty intentional about uh, gracing our conversation with that compassion throughout like you said, Cam, not just finding that common ground, but really highlighting throughout the dialogue that we do care for them. Now, um, there are a number of things that she mentioned here. So um, I'll just point out one, Cam, and then I, I know you have a, a few things as well. Certainly for the, what's it called? Clown cest, I think, I think she mentioned. Um, but the, the, the argument that one in three women have had an abortion um, as a way to justify having an abortion is a fallacy. It's an ad populum fallacy which is basically saying uh, most women around you have had an abortion, therefore it must be morally okay to have that abortion. The unfortunate reality here is that our morals do not are not dictated by what the population does, what the majority of the population does, um, but there's, there's something sort of totally opposite, totally different that determines what is morally right and what is morally wrong. And so that can never be a justification for why... Um, abortion is okay. And it, it, it in, the, in the flip side as well, if, if you could find a stat that says hardly anyone has an abortion, that's not a justification for us to say, therefore, abortion um, is wrong. You know, that, that doesn't work like that. We really need to get to the heart of the issue. But Cam, could you talk about um, 
sort of the the argument from incest that she's saying that sort of all other abortions are are not righteous abortions while that one might be what do you what do you make of that comment mm-hmm. what i unfortunately what i think that she's probably alluding to is the fact that there's so many pro-life politicians and other public figures who when challenged on their stance on abortion will say, you know what, I'm against all abortions except for incest, rape, and what we would, um, some people might call the quote-unquote tough cases, as it were. Um, and, and she implies that those are righteous abortions or abortions that should be allowed um, because of the extremity of their circumstances. However, anything that doesn't meet that threshold um, is not sufficient, not righteous enough to have an abortion. And yet, I think that she misses the mark on this because unfortunately, yeah, there are politicians that don't have a very good way of talking about abortion and they buckle under the pressure and they want to be compassionate. They want to express empathy and compassion for those who are in those truly, truly um, heart-wrenching situations. And they think that by conceding on abortion in those situations, they're being compassionate, they're being loving, when really they're just compromising their conviction because if abortion doesn't kill a human being then, then why does it kill a human being in other circumstances? And if it doesn't kill a human being, then why are we talking about it in the first place? Either abortion kills a human being and it's never okay to kill an innocent human being to solve a problem, or it doesn't kill a human being and it's always okay. It should be one or the other. I have a far easier time understanding people who support all abortions than people who only support some abortions. And so I think that she does kind of address this well. And yet the response and the understanding from you, our audience, ought to be not that we need to have a better distinction or, or better argue the differences between incestuous um, pregnancies and why they should be allowed to have abortions, but rather that these demand rather a, a greater degree of support. By way of analogy, if we found out that a born child, um, their father had committed terrible crimes either against the mother or against anybody, would we ever suggest we kill that born child because of the crimes of their father? If not, then why are we willing to kill that same child a few months or a few years earlier um, while they're still within their mother's womb? If we're not willing to do it then, why not earlier? That pivots us back to the humanity of the preborn. And so, though she tries to make the case that we need to be expanding access to abortion because of um, the weak spine of some politicians, in reality, we should actually be opposed to all abortions, though that shouldn't impact the compassion that we share. We should be showing true compassion and willingness to come alongside and um, be a companion through whatever it is they're going through, heinous um, circumstances even more so. Yeah, Cam, you've highlighted what is very much missing from that video, and that is who are the preborn, right? Who are preborn children? Are they human or are they not human? And I really like, um, for those of you who are interested in having conversations, want to have more conversations, want to be a better uh, activist, an advocate for preborn children, listen back to what Cam just said, because the arguments that we often hear are circumstantial. They're um, what about sort of this circumstance or that one? And, and circumstances are important that we must recognize them and we must validate that there are people in these particularly difficult circumstances. But the question of whether abortion is right or not is not dependent upon those circumstances, but dependent on that one factor that is very much missing from this video, and that is who are preborn children. And that's why it's really, really important, Cam, you highlighted this very well. It's very important for us to pivot our conversation around 
who are preborn children, and then what does abortion do to them? If they're human, what is abortion doing to them? It's ending their lives. And that is one of the key elements that, that we talk about all the time in the program, Cam, but certainly is missing here. Let's do the next clip. Let's continue on with this video. You know, it's funny, Colin, we're having fun. Just laugh. Hey, pull my finger. No. Laugh. I need it. I need you to laugh so hard. Like the way I laugh when the doctor asked if I got pregnant on the way over to the clinic because I wasn't very far along. And that is one of my favorite jokes to this day. I love that joke. It's such a good joke. Not like a funny ha-ha joke, but like a funny you're not an awful person and your life isn't over now joke. The best kind. A honka honka. <laughs> Good horn. Good horn. Killer horn. Woo! I'm not a clown. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you make of that, Cam? I'm just curious. To me, there's this sort of attempt. To, there's sort of this like desperation in her voice, whether it was meant to be there or not. Um, but looking at the the host and being, I just need you to laugh so hard. I need you to laugh so hard. And then and then coming up with this joke. What do you what do you make of this? Honestly, Peter, it breaks my heart because as much as I, I don't know who wrote the script, but this is a script that I've seen played out hundreds and hundreds of times. It's the script that we see from our culture day after day, like you said, desperately trying to solicit the kind of companionship that's going to help you get past what you just did. I desperately need you to laugh. I need you to say that everything's okay. I need you to say ultimately that I made the right decision. It breaks my heart to see this because of the frailty of our culture and because of how badly they've been lied to. And so I see this and and I, I see the faces of, of hundreds of people, like I said, that I've spoken to who have tried to play off their abortion experience with tears in the corners of their eyes that five minutes later, they are bursting into tears and, and the hugs that I have given and the awkward waiting for them to be able to catch their breath through their sobs. This absolutely breaks my heart. And I think that what it should compel pro-lifers to do and to say is I'm here. Let me help you. Let me help you in a real way. Let me help you navigate what you're going through. If you've chosen abortion already, let me help you find healing. If you haven't chosen abortion, but you're thinking about abortion, let me help you. I can find a better solution than killing your child. And if you've never been in this circumstance before, but don't know how to deal with this with your friends, let me help you. Let me help you help them. This desperate cry, this plea for acceptance the pro-life movement is here to accept you, and we want to accept you with all of the challenges and circumstances that you're faced with. We want to accept you with whatever it is that you've gone through. We want to help. Please let us help. That, that's a heavy note for what it was supposed to be a lighthearted comedy sketch, but I, I can't see any other response that fits that with this desperate cry for help. Let us actually help you in a way that's going to help you navigate what you're going through so that you don't, um, so that you're not haunted by this for years, so that you're not forced to try to cope with a decision that you can't undo. Let us help you. Cam, Cam, I don't know if I don't know what I could add to that to make it any better. I'm gonna add one uh, one little thing. Um, for those people who are on the streets, if you're anything like me, we go out when we want to win that conversation. We want to win that debate, that argument that we're having with the person in front of us. And if you're someone like me, you've had to really work with, work through not 
winning that debate per se, but really helping that person. And here's the thing. If you don't win the conversation, if you don't win the argument, if you don't provide better facts and logic than they do in the discussion, but if you do offer help to someone, if you do show them the love and compassion that you have, but uh, certainly as a representation of the pro-life movement as a whole, and if you're able to walk with someone even briefly, even for a brief moment, through some of their grief, some of their sadness, and some of their journey to get the help and the healing and the hope that they need. You have done far more than winning that conversation. Something I've had to learn, Cam, I don't know about you, um, as, as one of Canada's best apologists uh, that we have, uh, but certainly something extremely important for us to remember. So with that, let's take it on to the next clip. This is the second last clip here. And in the waiting room, they had a little guest book where all the clowns could write their clown abortion story for the next clown to read it so she wouldn't feel so alone. A wooga! And then years later, you'll be at a dinner with a big group of clowns, and one clown will go out on a limb and say she's had an abortion, and then like eight other clowns at the table say they've had an abortion too, because that's how common it is. And then everyone's excited and relieved to be talking about it. Then it's like, wow, we kept this secret for so long despite being so grateful it happened. Honk, 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 honk. Yeah, so, um, I mean, solidarity, Cam, is a, a powerful tool. Uh, it's one of the things I think that this this book is trying to get at, the book in the waiting room and, and sort of that the hope and the goal of the future conversation where everyone uh, perks up and says, oh, I had an abortion as well. And then you can be open and talk about it as a sort of, you know, if everyone else does what you've done, whether it be right or wrong, there certainly is an element um, where you feel justified in that. But I just wonder what some of your thoughts are um, in response to what you just said here. Mm -hmm. So, Peter, there's two things that come to my mind. The first is that the, the misconception, that this um, poor conception as to the response from pro-lifers, that um, if you tell a pro-lifer that you've had an abortion, if you tell your, your, your mom, your sister, your friend, whomever it may be, your spouse, um, that you had an abortion and they're morally against abortion, they're going to shame and judge you. Therefore, you have to keep it bottled up. And that couldn't be further from the truth from the vast majority of the global pro-life movement. Unfortunately, yes, there are some people who claim the name pro-life who are going to be condemning and judgmental and terrible advocates um, for the pro-life movement. And, and we spend a lot of our time trying to correct those people. That's part of what we're trying to do on the podcast, that for those who have never learned another way, they've never known a different way of encountering somebody who's had an abortion. We're trying to educate them on, on that capacity to have a better impact, a better conversation with them. And yet in reality, the vast majority of pro-lifers are so open and so loving and so compassionate that if you reveal that you've had an abortion to them, they want to help you find that recovery that I've mentioned a few times already that this idea that you have to be silent, it's not the pro-lifers who are going to attack you. Oftentimes, it's the pro-abortion movement that's going to attack you. If if you need evidence of that, check out Silent No More Awareness Campaign or any other post-abortion ministry. When they share their testimonies on, on college campuses, when they go to busy downtown hubs, they are shouted down and condemned by the people who... Um, don't want them to share their grief after abortion. They don't want people to share what it is they went through because that casts a negative light on abortion. And so pro-lifers are actually the ones who you can have the freedom to explore your experience, your abortion experience, and find that hope and healing. 
The second thing that comes to mind again, unfortunately, is a very stark contrast of images of this room of of whatever eight or nine mothers who somebody speaks that they had an abortion and everyone else kind of agrees and whatnot. I, I'm in my mind, this is just like a low candle lit something of a memorial vigil talking about the children that that quote unquote could have been sort of thing reminiscing of their decision to kill their children versus the the kind of events, Peter, that you and I are used to of children running all over the place and people talking about the hardship that they've gone through with their children, the support they get from their peers and their family members, and yet also that opportunity to experience the pure joy of the laughter and mirth of children and how there are going to be struggles come... Um, I don't know if I can say this, block your ears if you don't want to hear it, come hell or high water, um, there are going to be struggles. And yet you can either face those struggles with the support of your community and at least reap some benefit from them of the joys of parenthood and um, the the unexpected joys that may come from that. Not to say that parenthood is pure bliss, um, but rather um, to be able to navigate that with a child or with the constant reminder of a child that has been extinguished from this world. I can't help but comparing those two images and again, pleading for those who are contemplating what their future might look like. That's what I see. That's what I see down so many roads of either coping with the guilt and hardship or coping with the joy and hardship. Hardship is going to be there one way or another. Um, abortion is not going to make a poor woman rich. It's not going to fix a, a broken relationship. These struggles are going to be real. They're going to be continuing. And yet you can either do that with joy or you can do that with grief, And in my humble opinion. And with that, Cam, we will uh, play the final clip here. This is the one with really the most for us to respond to. A lot of sadness here, but let's play it and, uh, and we'll respond shortly. So, um, wait, are, are clowns really women? Excuse me? Wow, okay, Colin Joes thinks women are clowns. Cool. That's not what I said. Let me do some helium. Okay, Colin, here's my truth. I know I wouldn't be a clown on TV here today if it weren't for the abortion I had the day before my 23rd birthday. Clowns have been helping each other end their pregnancies since the caves. It's gonna happen, so it ought to be safe, legal, and accessible. We will not go back to the alley. I mean, the last thing anyone wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. Humor the clown, everyone. Yeah, better disable comments. <laughs> All right. Um, a few things here, Cam. Um, but like I mentioned on the top of the show, one of the things that's being marketed to women here, but also elsewhere in mainstream media and academia and sort of general culture is that there is a significant key that women must have uh, to get to sort of the fame that they want, the status that they want, the opportunities, uh, the good life, let's say. Um, there's a key necessary for the good life, and that is abortion access. And on the flip side of that is that if women do not have abortion access, they lack a significant key to achieve any of the dreams that they have, any of the aspirations that they might have, and, and any of the sort of, um, yeah, anything to get to the good life. Um, abortion access is completely necessary. And while I was listening to this um, of what women were being marketed, Cam, I, I just want to play this one clip as well. Um, I thought since we're playing clips on our videos and, and on our podcast, we'll play one more clip as well. This is from Michelle Williams, who won a Golden, a Golden Globe 
Um, this was uh, part of her speech at the Golden Globes ceremony in 2020. And, and she said something that was, was very much the same as what um, this clown uh, Cecily Strong said, um, which is, I know that I wouldn't be here on TV if it weren't for the abortion I had the day before my 23rd birthday. That's what Cecily said. This is what Michelle Williams said. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, and not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. There you go. I, I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing the woman's right to choose. Basically, I would not have been able to do this if I had not ended the life of my little boy or my little girl. I, I wonder if you have any comments on this, Cam. So many things go through my head. And I know that I've been harping on this, this sadness and um, hardship through this entire episode. But again, I, I can't help but think of how, as you mentioned, this kind of golden key. In my mind, the imagery that comes up is Pleasure Island from Pinocchio sort of thing, where this this cartmaster is promising these children that they can experience whatever joys and pleasures and, and whatever they can imagine on this island. And all of these people are duped into packing into his cart, going to this island where they all turn into donkeys and their lives fall apart because they've been lied to. They've been lied to by this terrible, terrible entity who promised them something that can never come true. That if this is the cost of a Golden Globe, if this is the cost of an Oscar, if this is the cost of being Goober the Clown, then we have to challenge people and help them to see that that's not worth it. There is something more valuable, first of all, than pure career pursuits. Um, and the idea that the grass is greener on the other side, but not only that, but the grass is only greener through this bridge. And this bridge is going to exact a toll, which is the cost of your child's life to get to the promised land, to get to Pleasure Island, to get to the greener side, you have to pay the toll of your child. We have to find better bridges. We have to find better destinations, find better ways of flourishing in society than having this um, toll booth that is exacting our children from us. I, I think it's horrifying. I think it's saddening. And I think that it speaks to a culture that is so broken that can constantly tells people, mothers, especially that you will not be fulfilled unless you pursue XYZ. You cannot be fulfilled as a mother. You cannot be fulfilled as a professional who is also a mother. It's not just saying that being a, a housewife um, barefooted in the kitchen um, is not a fulfilling life, but rather you can't do anything without a child. And so uh, with a child, I, I should say. And so I, I think that's incredibly saddening um, that not only Michelle Williams, but but echoed by Goober the Clown here. And it, again, it just screams out of the the failure of society, the failure of society to provide a different option, a different bridge that doesn't have that toll, a different destination that doesn't require that toll again, I think. And and I think that she goes on to talk about how this is going to happen anyways. Therefore, it might as well be safe, legal, and accessible. 
And not only is that a pretty nihilistic approach to say, you know what, sexual assault is going to happen anyways, therefore we might as well make people comfortable while this is happening. No, we'd never say that. We'd never say that child abuse is going to happen anyways because humans are just pretty awful, therefore we should make it easier to do. Tragically, abortions do continue to happen. They've happened for a very long time in human history. They're going to tragically continue happening for a very long time. Does that say that we should pack up shop uh, and stop trying to resolve these problems? No, it, it means that we should try to find better solutions, that we need better education about um, whether it's how to avoid pregnancy in the first place or how to navigate pregnancy once you're there. That's the solution, not making abortion safe, legal, and accessible, Peter. Yeah, and then she she says that last line there, we will not go back to the alley. I mean, the last thing anyone wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. And, and really, the option opposed to what she just said about abortion being safe, legal, legal and accessible, which is interesting. The, the, the line used to be sort of the Clinton safe, legal and rare, but the, the rare is long gone from our cultural conscience and memory even. Um, and now we talk about abortion being safe, legal and accessible because what woman doesn't want to have accessible abortion? Because, hey, what woman doesn't want to uh, achieve her dreams and live the good life? But the, the option opposed to this safe, legal, and accessible abortion is finding dead women in dark alleys. And now, Kim, I think we can find common ground here. This is certainly something that we don't want either. We don't want to see um, dead women in dark alleys because of back alley abortions that have gone wrong. But this is a false dichotomy. This is saying that there's there's two options here. There's two options on the table and two options alone. And, and I'm going to choose this one option. Abortion is safe legal and accessible, which seems to be um, sort of on the on the surface of it, uh, a, a more reasonable and rational option to take because the opposite side, the flip side to that is finding women who are dead in dark alleys where we don't want them to be. But, but how tragic is it that, um, I mean, th these are the only two options that are presented. Now, can we talk about other options? I know many pro-lifers who do the same, but, but in a sort of cultural way this is what's being shared this is the message that's being shared and uh that abortion must be that option ending the life of your little boy or your little girl must be that option or basically your life is over and, and you're you're as good as dead um what do you have to say to this uh as we we start to wrap this up yeah just just to echo your sentiments that that Imagine being in the foot, uh, in the shoes of a pregnant mother and being told by not just the abortion industry that is peddling abortion for money, but this culture of death that's peddling pure death is telling you either we kill your baby now or you kill yourself eventually. Right? That, that's what they're getting at. Either you kill your baby now or you're going to end up in um, a back alley dead be out of desperation. Not either – like it's not even um, – Pro-lifers talk all the time about how the pro-choice movement isn't actually pro-choice. They're only peddling one choice. And that's so true. And, and we want to take that choice off the table entirely. But we want to present lots of different options for how they could navigate what they're going through, um, depending on where they're at, in their family, in their education, in their career, whatever. Every solution is going to look different for every person. We're not saying that there's a cookie-cutter response to everybody, but rather that the dignity of the human person, the mothers and fathers that we are working with demand a higher degree of response and solution than what the abortion um, industry is offering them. That we have to do better, we have to do more, 
And that's something that this sketch, though it certainly wasn't their aim, in my opinion, certainly demonstrated that there's a problem, a massive problem in society that demands a solution that is better than what we currently have now. That's what comes to my mind, Peter. What are you thinking? Yeah, that's good. As I wrap this up, I think it's important to remind ourselves that this is in response to the Texas abortion law. And so like you said a little bit earlier, Cam, we need to remind ourselves that the Texas abortion law is not just banning abortion after six weeks, but within that law, written right in that law, there's a $100 million commitment to pregnant women, to mothers, to, to provide for them the things that they need, whether it be diapers, whether it be uh, workplace training, um, and, and just a whole host of things, um, and even, even motherhood training, parenthood training. Um, but so many of these things, a $100 million commitment to help women out in the situation that they might be in. And so um, sort of saying that, uh, you know, the pro-life side is the, the dead woman in dark alley side is extremely, uh, extremely false um, and mischaracteristic of what is actually happening in Texas right now. Um, as the, the, the case goes on, which is Whole Woman's Health versus Texas, we're following it. Um, we'll probably talk about it on our next episode of The Pulse depending on what sort of result comes out of there. And, uh, and we're certainly hoping for, um, yeah, a way that, that this law will be able to uh, withstand the, the pressures from the pro-abortion movement, from the pro-abortion industry, and, uh, and continue to save lives. I was reading a little bit earlier, Cam, and I don't have it in front of me now, and I won't have it in front of me. Uh, the New York Times was, um, they, they were suggesting uh, several months ago that, uh, the abortion rate would drop so much, but then they reported just not too long ago that about half of the abortion, uh, the abortion rate cut to half in Texas after the abortion uh, law went into uh, went into effect, the abortion ban went into effect. Now, they said that that was sort of a good thing because their projections were way worse. Um, but in a sense, we look at what that law is doing. And if they're right, I mean, this is the New York Times, they, they're trying to promote abortion as much as possible. If they're right, in that the abortion rate has been cut to half in Texas. That is a lot of little boys and little girls who are alive today who wouldn't be because of this law, because of this ban that came into effect in, uh, I believe it was September. So that's a fantastic news. And with that, we're going to wrap this up. We hope you learned a little bit from this episode in, in relation to your conversations, uh, in terms of how to have good dialogues on abortion to be effective and to be winsome, to see people change their minds, to see lives changed, and to really work towards the transformation of our culture. The apologetics that we share are designed, like, like Kim mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, to build bridges with people who have opposing worldviews to us, who think completely differently to us. We're not trying to destroy them with facts and logic. We're not trying to sort of wreck their argument or whatever it might be. We're trying to have a winsome conversation where we can get on the same page, we can, we can um, share the truth with compassion. Kim, I don't know if you want to touch on anything regarding that as we wrap this up, or if I should get to some of the, the final housekeeping things here. Just my final thoughts again to reiterate what I mentioned earlier. A lot of what we've talked about today can apply to any conversation. We've talked about the human rights argument. We talked about the common ground analogy and pivot question back to the human uh, humanity of the preborn. And again, I mentioned those kind of empathetic um, components for how to talk to people who are um, struggling after abortion, who are contemplating abortion, who have friends who have had abortions or are contemplating abortion. At the end of the day, our response to this video is let us help. We can offer something better. We think that you deserve something better and we desperately want to help you. That's what Texas has done with the $100 million stimulus. 
That's what countless other areas, regions, states, provinces, and nations have done around the world. That's what we want to do. We want to help. Bear that in mind when you're having your conversations, that if in doubt, if you're um, talking with somebody who is struggling in one of those very real experiences, if you can communicate the fact that you are committed to helping them, that's going to go so far. And so that's all I've got, Peter. Let's wrap it up. Love it, sir. Yeah. Okay. So on our last episode, episode number 68, uh, we talked about how to have effective social media outreach, to use the conversations that we use on the streets, on our social media platforms, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Reddit, and elsewhere. That was a really good conversation with uh, two colleagues of ours, Blaze Elaine and Quiana Casimir. Um, so go check that out if you're interested in having those good conversations online. There's lots of helpful insights into all of our conversations, but certainly focusing on our online conversations. And then do consider becoming an ambassador of the pro-life guys, but even more than that, an ambassador, an ambassador of pre-born children by joining our online action team. We'll put a little bit more, uh, we'll put the, the application form for that into the show notes, um, but you can learn more about the online action team from that episode, episode 68, which is effective social media outreach. Um, we also have a shop with some cool merch. Uh, Cam, lift it up. I saw that you were uh, drinking. <sighs> Look at that. I also have some here as well. I don't have the shirts hanging up here, but we do have some merchandise with the Pro-Life Guys logo. Now, this merch, I mean, we love we love getting... Oh, look at that. If, if, you're watch, if you're listening, Cam just held up a shirt that said, change minds, save lives, transform our culture. Go check that shirt out at prolifeguys.com slash shop. Now, it is cool that that merch is going out with uh, with some of our... Uh, with our logo and, and some of that on there with some of our messaging. But the more important thing here is that the profits from the merchandise will go towards um, the, the growth of the podcast and it'll go towards further pro-life outreach. We work for an organization that does a lot of pro-life outreach. We seek to have um, our messaging and, and abortion victim photography seen by Canadians millions and millions and millions of times every single year. And so the, the funds, the profits from the merchandise that we sell is going to go to that pro-life outreach and to making sure that more and more people hear the message that we are sharing here on the podcast. So go check it out, prolifeguys.com slash shop. You can um, also partner with us for the same end, for the same goals, by becoming a patron, <clears throat> patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Cam, I'm losing my voice and I don't know why. So you're <laughs> going to have to wrap this up. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening. Cam is going to take it away and finish this episode off. Abs. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, please tune into our other episodes that Peter mentioned. You can find them on your favorite podcast catcher on YouTube, on our website, prolifeguys.com. Um, if you want to learn more about how to get involved, local volunteering opportunities, um, courses that we have on the go, check out that website again, prolifeguys.com. And I hope that you were able to apply these skills in ways that impact those in your sphere of influence. Thanks a ton for, for tuning in. Hope that you will check it out again soon. Okay, God bless. Hey.